0: Welcome everybody, welcome to you at Facebook Live, glad to have you here mom, whoever else is on there, I uh, love it, uh, all of our campuses, we're, uh, it's kind of crazy for me, I'm uh, doing my last sermon for three months, um, and it, it's not because I'm having open heart surgery or anything, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in good health, everything's good, I'm taking a sabbatical, I had several mentors that finished well, and we all know pastors who didn't. Um, so I've got mentors, I'm always trying to lean into those guys who finished well and uh, ask them, you know, what, what should I do to have a good last decade of ministry? And, and, and a lot of them said, you got to take some time, um, do a detox. You know, I mean, I've never had... A moment in my life where I wasn't thinking about the next thing I was writing or the next thing I was preaching or whatever. So so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take three months and uh, you're going to be covered well. Pastor Todd starts a series next week and he's going to be doing a a lot of it. You're going to have some great people in here and I'm going to unplug. I'm going to spend some time with family. Uh, my mother-in-law's on hospice, so um, we, you know there'll be some stuff going on in the middle of this that we've got to figure out. But I'm I'm going to spend some time with my wife and some time with my family and and some time just being God's kid instead of his preacher. And uh, we'll see how it goes. I know you might be a little bit worried about me. Don't worry, I, I'm taking a friend with me. So <laughs> when I'm out there, I'll be thinking about you, and it's all gonna it's all gonna go good. Okay, I promise. Um, I, I, I'm I'm excited about it. I. I, I I, I'm not excited about it, but I'm excited about it. I know God's going to do some good stuff, and I know it's a good time for me. It's been 29 years; it's it's time to do it. Okay, um, we did child sponsorships last weekend. Well, if you want to know, if you want to know, like how you could help me in the middle of this, how you could do something to encourage me, you could pray, okay? You could definitely pray. You could use your prayers just to, for, to learn what I can learn from God in the middle of all this. Um, you can also get engaged. I mean, Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is. Not where your heart is, your treasure is. So if, you're, if your heart is kind of with Parkview, I want to encourage you over the next three months to get engaged your treasure, your time, your talent, your treasure, whatever those things are meaningful. Like, like what I don't want to do is go away and worry about, you know, whether we're going to have enough, you know, people to serve at, at Summer Jam, or, or whether we're going to have enough parking lot people in September, because usually I come back in August and, you know, kind of pump all that stuff up, or about our outreach ministries or, or our mission things. I want you to jump in and grab a hold of this, even if you haven't ever done it before, to do that. And let me encourage you to get, get signed up with the online giving and get regular and your giving and help us, because when I come back, hopefully we're going to have an announcement about our fourth campus, and, and we're excited about it. Uh, all, of, all of our campuses know we need this. We're growing. we got to figure out what to do with it. I, I also am excited. I, I want to keep this thing going. Child sponsorships last weekend, in case you didn't get the chance last weekend, we have the opportunity to do more next weekend. We had a total of 739 kids get <laughs> sponsored last weekend. I mean, think about that. That's like... That's like two or three villages of, of kids in Brazil that, that we've taken on. And what's really crazy about that is that um, we we already sponsor. We do this about every year. So we already sponsor, I mean, thousands upon thousands of kids from Parkview. Uh, a lot of us, like me, I, I didn't sponsor through Parkview. We've had Compassion Kids uh, forever. So, you know, I mean, we've, we've been a part of it. You've got that too. I literally don't know how many thousands of kids. I know that there's one family here that has 49 kids okay so what I'm saying is if you got a chance last weekend maybe it's time to go out and get another one I'd love to get to a thousand maybe maybe you didn't get a chance last weekend at your campus they are available or or hit us up online if you're watching online and we'll get you we'll get you connected we're excited about that we're excited about what God is doing those are the kinds of things that makes Jesus happy what made Jesus mad um, we've been processing this around here. It feels like things are going good. I mean, I don't know about, you know, how it's doing like nationally or anything. I don't have any numbers or anything, but go on Amazon if you would do a review for me. Okay. That really helps a lot. I appreciate two carrot cake recipes so far. And the lyrics to, hey, now you're an all-star, I love that, okay? I don't care what you put on there, just put five stars and go fill it out, all right? Make something happen, um, and we'll get the word out. What, what made Jesus mad was, was this, okay? You don't know how to read this, do you? We love hurting people, or we love hurting people. It, it's, just, it's just hard to know which way that goes, one way or another, right? And the truth of the matter is, I have heard so many stories over the last few weeks, and of course over, over 35 years of ministry, of how the church has hurt people. And ironically, that's what was going on back in Jesus' day. The church was getting in the way of people coming to God. And so that's what this book is about. How, how can we stop that? This, this, is my, this is my way to say let's stop this as a church. What made Jesus mad was blocking access to God. And they blocked access to God in the temple. They were selling stuff and getting in the way of the Gentiles who couldn't get to the kingdom. The second week we talked about the legalism thing and about how they were caring more about the rules than they were about these people who needed healing. Because it happened to be the Sabbath. Last week we talked about kids and they were blocking kids and Jesus got mad. In every instance as well as the hypocrites and the, you know, you'd be better off with a rock tied around your neck, and all these comments, call them a child of hell. All of these things go together to help us see a picture of the fact that Jesus is mad when we block access to God. Because that's why we're, that's why we're here, is to bring people to God. And that's why Jesus came, was to allow access to God. So, so the whole thing is frustrating. Today we're going to be in John 8. Um, my favorite story, because I had to take two chapters on it in the book to unpack it all, um, and it's, it's, the, it's the woman caught in the act of adultery, okay? I, I, I gave her a new name because that's all she's known by in the Bible, is the woman caught in the act of adultery. I know many of you who grew up Catholic, Catholic Church uh, theorizes that it was Mary Magdalene that was the woman caught in the act of adultery, There's no historical evidence for that whatsoever. I mean, it might have been, but there's no evidence for that. So I'm going to give her a new name today. All right. I I just, I'm just going to, just going to do something different. But when you see the clip at the end of the Passion of the Christ movie, Mel Gibson used Mary Magdalene in that case, it doesn't matter who it is. I just don't want to call her the woman caught in the act of adultery anymore. Right? I mean, who wants to be known that way? I've decided to give my grandkids nicknames. I mean, I just think it's fun to rebrand people. Like Charlie is Google Bear. That's what I call him. He's Google Bear because uh, he's really smart for a four-year-old, and he thinks he's really smart for a four-year-old. So you can ask him anything and he's like Google, he'll give you an answer even if he doesn't really know. Um, George, George Timothy, my namesake there, GT, his name is GT and and so I call him Mustang because I was in California a couple years ago and they upgraded my rental car to a Mustang GT. You ever done that? Oh man, that's a good way to get a ticket in a hurry. So I decided to call Georgie Mustang because he goes really fast and he makes me smile. Get it? Okay. Um, Olivia, she's just princess, man. I mean, how could she not be? She rules the kingdom. You'd have to meet her. And until September, she's the only girl in the bunch. So uh, you know, that's that's the deal. Caleb, I haven't figured out yet. He's still a little young. I'm gonna give him some time before I brand him. And I know I just did this because you know you're gonna have to go. Unless you follow me on social media, you're going to have to go three months without seeing pictures of my grandchildren, (laughs) and and I know you're going to miss my preaching, but you're really going to miss my grandchildren pictures. So I just wanted to make sure. And unless I make Pastor Todd throw them up every once in a while, we'll see what happens. (laughs) Renaming can be fun. Maybe it may be really. I realized in the middle of this, I gave the woman caught in the act of adultery a name, and um, uh, it's Janice. Okay, I I don't know why, I just gave her Janice, and I realized in every service, there's somebody's like, oh, your name, you're the woman caught in the act of adultery. (laughs) I've even signed a couple of books for Janice, and I just write, sorry about chapter seven. I mean, I, I don't have any Janices in my family, it just seemed like a good idea, so here we go. Are you ready? Jesus is in this situation at the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again to the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Okay? We don't know who Janus was. Uh, text tells us the Pharisees were using this as a trap. Okay? Um, and that meant that she was supposed to be stoned to death. Now, sometimes in the text, you could kind of think that maybe she was even a prostitute. There was a feast going on at this time, so it's possible that she was a prostitute. Let's just start there, all right? So before you go judging a prostitute, I'm not encouraging that. What I'm telling you is that as I've met them, especially in a developing world, what I can tell you is that no woman makes that her profession as a life choice. Would you agree with me? I mean, they don't stop by the booth at the school's fair and job fair and go, oh yeah, I think I'm going to sell my body. I mean, usually it's a situation where they get desperate and it gets down to the end and they don't have anything else that they can do. That's so true in the developing world. Maybe she wasn't selling herself. Maybe they just caught two people in the, uh, in the act of adultery, okay? But the fact that they were testing Jesus makes it look like they had this whole thing set up. And also, where's the guy? Right? I mean, it takes two to tango. That's what they say. I mean, she can't be caught in the act of adultery unless there's a guy there. Why isn't the guy standing here in front of Jesus? This is, this is what makes me so frustrated with this story and these religious leaders. And although J- Jesus is not angry in this passage, to be clear, it fits into the overall theme of, I think, what it is that, that is one of those things that blocks access to God. You see, judgmentalism. I call it gracism, all right? Gracism is a term I made up. I think it makes more sense, right? It's just as dumb as racism, but it's not about the color of your sin. It's about the color of your sin, not the color of your skin. You see where I'm going? Like racism is so dumb because I'm gonna look at somebody differently because they're from a different race or different nationality than me. That makes absolutely no sense. Can we all agree with that? I mean, that is really, really stupid. Okay? Okay? so let's keep clapping. If I'm going to look down my nose at you because of something that you've done, obviously I've done my own stuff, so that's also really, really stupid, isn't it? Okay? I mean, so like, how do you go stand with a sign, a picket sign like this, and and think that that's going to be helpful? This is what blocks access to the kingdom of God. All right, I, I, I redid the sign on the right so you could really read it. I wanted you to be able to Make sure your name's not on the list, you guys. Oh, you're like, oh yeah, Crystal Meth's not on there. Woohoo! <laughs> right? I mean, you look at that list and you're like, okay, well, yeah. I mean, I agree with some of that, but sports fans? What? What, what is that all about? Are you like a, you know, are you like a sports fan whose team just is so bad that you just gave up on it? Or what? I don't don't know. Well, here's the thing. What made Jesus mad was denied access to the Father. Holding up a picket sign is shutting the kingdom, uh, shutting the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. It's not saying, hey, everybody, come on in. God loves you. It's you don't deserve to be here. And it's gracism. That's all it is. It's like, well, I'm not on this sign. I made up this sign with all these things, right? And my thing's not on there, although hypocrisy hypocrisy was on there, ironically. I don't know, you know, what they thought they were doing. Okay, please don't hear me condoning prostitution or adultery. It breaks up families. If you don't know that and you're thinking about doing it, please contact me. I would love to introduce you to somebody that would tell you it was the worst mistake they ever made in their life. But as I said last week, when I was talking about abortion, child blocking, whatever, your sin is not any different than my sin. Whatever's going on, however you feel about any of it, it doesn't matter. Your sin is not any different than my sin. Guys, there's no such thing as mortal and venial sins. Many of you were taught that growing up, that there were like these sins that were like mortal, the, you know, they deserve death. And there were other sins. That were. And I get it. I mean, I would say adultery is probably worse than lying. I mean, I get it. But I have no right to stand and gloat over somebody else because I think my sin is less than their sin. That's gracism. That makes me a gracist. Here's the truth. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Would you say that with me? Even on Facebook. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And by the way, a couple of chapters later, he says, and the wages of sin is death. What does that mean? All sin is mortal. You want to throw adultery in there? Jesus says, hey, I'll take you another step. If you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Oh, you better get your sign down, huh? That's what makes my friend Caleb's story so unbelievable. He is now a pastor, but he grew up in the LGBTQ community, and it's remarkable that he is a pastor when it started like this.
1: When I was two years old, my parents got a divorce, and both of them went into same-sex relationships. They were very political activists. They joined the local board of directors of GLAAD. They took me with them when I was very young to uh, gay clubs and bars and pride parades and events and campouts. I remember this one time I was marching this gay pride parade when I was very young, and at the end of the parade were all these Christians holding up signs saying, God hates you, there's no room for you. And if that wasn't offensive enough, they were spraying water and urine over everyone at the same time. I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, why are they acting like this? And I will never forget her words. She said, Caleb, they're Christians, and Christians hate gay people. And so I really grew up not liking Christians. I judged the whole community based on the extremists of those on the street corners. And I had some friends who were always trying to make me into a Christian. So one of them invited me to a Bible study, and I figured I'd go. My plan is very simple. I'm going to go, and I'm going to be a ninja Christian. I'm going to pretend to be a Christian, learn about the Bible, and then dismantle uh, their arguments for Christianity. And I kept on going. I wanted to prove Christianity wrong, but here's what I learned, that Jesus was not like the people on the street corners, that that Jesus's life was actually proving my worldview wrong. And I also learned that Jesus had very deep theological convictions, but he also had very deep relationships with people who were not like him, and people who were marginalized and outcast and pushed aside, not only by secular society, but also by religious society as well. It's not my job to resolve this tension between grace and truth. It's my job to love people well and point them to Jesus, because Jesus is all about people. And when Jesus's grace intersects our messy lives, it looks like messy grace, but that's okay, because God loves messy people.
0: I, Caleb's out in California. I'll have dinner with him on Tuesday night. Uh, one of my good friends. His book's called Messy Grace. If this is something that is uh, interesting to you, uh, I really, really recommend it. Um, I know how he found his way to being a pastor. He found some really good Christians who loved him in, and that's what I want our church to be known as. That's what I want our church to be full of. Uh, Janice, what's going to happen to Janice? story makes me wonder um, what's going through Jesus' mind. Because um, you have to remember that Jesus grew up with a mom who felt like Janice. Okay? The people in her town didn't believe the virgin birth story, right? I mean, at one point, they even called Jesus an illegitimate child as they were calling him out as he was going around and teaching. In the eyes of the whole town, Mary had broken the law. She was pregnant with Jesus out of wedlock. Whether it was her fiancé or someone else, it was, uh, it was against the law. And I believe that that experience, that childhood experience, is growing up with a mom who you knew was holy and loved by God, but who people judged and thought she was a bad person, I think that experience gave him a deeper level of compassion as he dealt with these things. Prostitutes used to be known as women of ill repute, right? Jesus' mom was literally a woman of ill reputation, even though she deserved the opposite reputation. So here's Janice. Here's their trap. The trap is the law says that they should stone her, okay? That's what they should do. Um, if Jesus says that, you know, well, they know he's not going to do that because they know he loves these sinner people. That's, that's one of their big problems with him. If he says, set her free, then they have him, and he's broken the law, and he can't be from God. So, Because he came to connect these people to the Father, they know he's not going to throw her out. So what is Jesus going to do? He's going to be brilliant. So Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. What? We don't know. We don't know what he wrote. He might have been playing tic-tac-toe. He might have been doodling. The word here means to make a list or to write against. He, he wrote against. And he wasn't writing against a woman, obviously. So some have speculated that because God wrote the Ten Commandments with his finger, that maybe Jesus was like bending down and writing the Ten Commandments with his finger. You know, as, as like a way of saying, okay, yeah, adultery's on there, but let's talk about some of these other ones, you know. Maybe he even put their names next to the ones that he knew they had broken. I mean, because this is like challenging Santa, right? I mean, Jesus has the ultimate naughty and nice list. He's, he's got this, right? There's another speculation that I like even better. Remember that these guys are very learned in the Old Testament. They have no, you know, Amazon Prime. They have no Netflix They and nothing else to do but read the Old Testament over and over and over again. And they knew the story from Daniel very well where God was so mad at a king one day that he goes over to the wall like with a hand just appears and he writes on the wall. Daniel five twenty seven and on the wall what it says is you have been found wanting you have been found you've been weighed on the scales and found wanting right maybe Jesus wrote that like you guys think you're so good but you aren't you've been found wanting you've been weighed on the scales and found wanting maybe he just wrote Daniel five twenty seven because he would have known they would have known exactly what that was all about and hey might come in handy for you sometime okay just you know your kid or your spouse does something wrong you can just text them back daniel 5 27. <laughs> honey did you get the milk oh no i forgot daniel 5 <laughs> 27. you have been weighed on the scales and found one thing my guess is that the reason that we don't know what jesus wrote on the dirt is because it doesn't matter You know what mattered? I'll tell you what mattered. I love this part. What mattered is Jesus was creating a diversion. Janice is standing there. I don't know how how much clothing she's been able to put on. It's not like they gave her time to get fully dressed. She's standing in the middle of all of the people looking around knowing that she's been caught Breaking the law, she's been caught as an adulterer, and she's standing there, and all the eyes are on her until Jesus made them look down. Literally, Jesus is making them stop judging Janice. Just for a minute. When they straightened up, when he straightened, when they kept questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. And again he scooped down, stooped down and wrote on the ground some more. Awkward silence. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, until Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. If I could give you one gift, this would be it, one gift, to be alone with Jesus. That's it. All the religion, all the other junk, out of the way, alone with Jesus. What's the problem? Why hasn't that been able to happen? Because the church has been standing in judgment. The church has been standing with picket signs. The church has been standing in gracism saying, your sin is worse than mine, and so you decided you would walk away. A few years ago, they did a survey and they asked people the question, who deserves to go to heaven? And they had several names listed, and it was several years ago, so this was more pertinent back then, but they listed, let me just say, a well-known sports star who may have gotten away with murder, okay, And, and they also mentioned Mother Teresa. So. OJ got 19% and Mother Teresa got 79%. The funny thing is they rated themselves on whether they should go to heaven and 87% said they should go to heaven. Yeah, Mother Teresa is pretty good, you know, but not as good as me, you know. I deserve to go to heaven, right? That's how bad we are at self-evaluation. Let me tell you something. The answer to that question is 0%. I don't care how many murders you actually committed, or got away with, or didn't get away with, I don't care how many starving kids you, you saved, I don't care how many compassion kids that you sponsor, you deserve zero of you, De- zero of me deserve to be in heaven. And I'm certain that the Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus knowing that he was going to love her because his greatest crime in their eyes was loving these outcast people. And they thought they had him in checkmate, but instead he twisted the game around and made them quit. And the older one's left first because you get wiser, even if you're a judgmental hypocrite. (laughs) Until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. If we could just get all that other junk out of the way. It's just so hard for people to get alone with Jesus because we've been shutting the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. (sighs) I apologize for the many times I've been a judgmental hypocrite. I've done it and I probably still will. I apologize for the barriers that I've created between you and God. I would love for you to get to end up just like Janice and be alone with Jesus. No religion, no religious people, no games, just Jesus. He doesn't care where you've been or what you've done. If you could just get alone with him, it would change everything. Jesus straightened up and asked her, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Can you imagine the emotion in her voice? I mean, I don't know how this is possible, but no one, sir. Jesus said, then neither do I. This is not the result she thought was going to happen when she was paraded in in front of everybody. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. He's saying, you're a woman who is loved by me and by your Father, so leave that old life and go live like a woman who is dignified and forgiven and loved by your Father. Go live that life. That's how everything will change. I can't can't help but wonder how long it had been since she'd had a man talk to her that way. And the incredibly important move that Jesus made is that he did not dismiss Janice's sin. He actually addressed everyone's sin. In a way, Jesus judged everyone in the story, and then he forgave everyone in the story. I wish the hypocrites wouldn't have walked away because he would have forgiven them too. Well, what makes you say that? Well, because those were the same people who were standing in Pilate's court saying, crucify him, crucify him. These were the same people. He's looking down from the cross while he's up there saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It's those same people. He's judging them and then paying the penalty for it and then forgiving them. So what's our problem? Our problem is there's something deep down inside that wants to deserve to go to heaven. Even though that really doesn't make any sense cognitively, we really want to deserve it. Deep down in our souls, the idea of free grace is not just hard to believe, it's unfair. How could Jesus say to a criminal being executed on a cross, hey, it's okay, why don't you come to heaven with me? That makes me uncomfortable. That makes us uncomfortable. It doesn't make sense. And the church has always been uncomfortable with Jesus. If you happen to be reading this in a Bible or your phone has an app that has, has footnotes with it, when you get to this passage, here's what it says at the bottom of the page. Look this up when you get home. The earliest and most reliable manuscripts do not have this story. I always used to read that and thought, well, okay, whatever. I mean, I I like the story. It sounds like Jesus. I don't understand. Well, I dug into it. Some of the early manuscripts have the story. Some of the early manuscripts, so I'm talking about like we don't go back to John's gospel. We don't have a a copy that, you know, this was written by John. You can't go on a, you know, memorabilia site and try to get his signature, okay? Well, we have our early memories Uh, early manuscripts that people wrote down of what John had given us. And they all match up, and that's where we get to the book. But they don't match up. Why not? Because some of the manuscripts have this story, some of them don't. Here's what's fascinating. What's fascinating is that two of the early manuscripts, we only have a few, literally leave a blank space where the story ought to be. Like they didn't know where to put it in or not. So they just left an empty I mean, you know, they were handwriting it. They left an empty space. And Augustine, one of the most respected early church fathers, said that that happened because they wanted to avoid scandal. The story was removed from the text to avoid scandal. What's the scandal? Grace? Grace is scandalous. That would explain the blank space, right? Like, I want to put that story in there, but I'm not sure if I should, because, I mean, according to a whole lot of Christ followers over the years, this story makes Jesus look way too complacent about sin, especially a mortal sin like adultery. And I think the blank space dispute may be telling us something very important about religion and about humanity. Because Janice's story is very congruent with everything else that Jesus did and all the parables that Jesus told. And it reverberates against the anger, the things that made him mad. So the whole thing makes sense. What I'm saying is maybe we've not learned enough from the angry red letters in our Bible. What's the scandal? This is the scandal. What do you mean neither can you condemn her, Jesus? She was caught in the act of adultery. Of course you can condemn her. Neither do I condemn you. And then he said, go and leave your life of sin. Oh, I I bet they got that backwards. I mean, surely Jesus brought up the problem first, right? They can't know about the good news unless they know the bad news. That's what they always used to say, right? I mean, surely this got backwards in there. I mean, after she knew that this was sinful, you know, what a parent would be doing would be like, you know, okay, you know you broke the rules here, but I still love you. That would be this way, right? You broke the rules here, but I still love you. Go out there and get back out there, but don't do it again because you know what will happen. That's how we think it ought to go. But Jesus is saying, look, your old life is keeping you from your best life. And you're never going to find your best life until you understand this concept. Neither do I condemn you. Or as Paul said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can't go live the new life that God wants you to live until you grab a hold of that. Janice can't go live a new life. She can't get better first and then find forgiveness. It doesn't make any sense. Janice, Jesus says, you're free. Go start over again. Those guys can't condemn you. They're sinners. They're deceiving themselves until I call them out. I'm the only one who can condemn you, and I am not going to do it. Go go live a new life with a clean start. And it's the same with us, you guys. Jesus is not worried about what we've done. He's forward-thinking. We can't get better. We can start over. What about adultery? What about the penalty for sin? I mean, the early church deleted the story, and it gets confusing to people because how could Jesus just not address her sin? Oh, no, he addressed her sin. As a matter of fact, he fixed it. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What that means is that because that woman committed adultery, Jesus hung on a cross, bleeding and broken and dying. That's why he was there. She put him there. And so did you, and so did I. What that means is you can't be good enough to win God's favor. I don't care. And you can never be bad enough to miss it. So the pressure's off. The law has been upheld. Jesus can love Janice. Jesus can love you. You can love Janice. He can give her the opportunity to start over like he gives us the opportunity to start over. And as mad as I am at these church leaders, because I'm venting for Jesus, they did her a great favor, didn't they? They didn't know it. They didn't mean to, but they brought her to a place of grace. And then what happened? My friend Mark Jones brought up a great question. How did it ultimately turn out for Janice, right? I mean, her ill repute didn't go away, right? Even if this is the first time anybody knew she'd committed adultery, she's got a scarlet letter now. Are you with me? She still lives in Jerusalem with her scarlet letter. Everybody knows what's going on. They're like, wow, you escaped a good one there with Jesus in there. But but they're still looking down at her because of what she's done. Jesus' acceptance and forgiveness were part of the equation, but what did the church do with Janice? Or more importantly, what does the church do with Janice and all the other sinners of the world? It's important to note that at the end of the story, Jesus is down in the dirt with Janice. He's not standing up with a rock. And I can't explain it, but it seems as though gravity seems to work the opposite for Christians than it did for our leader. Usually, the longer we follow Jesus, the more likely we are to start standing up, start grabbing rocks. Maybe a sign, sports lover. Listen, guys. I couldn't leave you with a more important thought than this. You are loved, not judged. So we should love and not judge. Jesus said, do not judge or you will be judged. I love the sarcasm in here. I don't know if he's mad or just sarcastic. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank sticking out of your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me get that speck out of there when all the time there's a board in your eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll be able to clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye. We should be helping each other with our sin problems. Janice's best life was not a life of deception and adultery no matter how she ended up there. We want to help you with your sawdust in your eye problems too, but only as people who realize that we have had and maybe currently have a big board in our own eye as well. You are loved, not judged. So we should love and not judge. I'm going to finish out playing this scene from The Passion of Christ. Mel Gibson did a great job with this. Just the emotion of what it should feel like to be forgiven. And then, then we're going to listen to this song. There is a song of a child to his father. There is no disappointment in your eyes. There is no shame. There is only pride. I am loved. Father, I'm, I'm loved by you. There's the, the, the embrace of my father. There's nothing wrong with no separation. You love me. Here's what I'll leave you with. Have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Jesus, who, though he was in the very form God did not count quality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, highly exalted him that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess. Every knee should bow. And only then, if we're all bowing, can we look around and see who else is down here.